morning. I've got a couple of preaching firsts this morning. First of all, my children are here in the congregation. Usually they would have gone out to the children's rooms, but of course uh, we don't have any of those today, so I have them there. The other thing is I'm stood on a step. Uh, that's partly so that we don't have to faff around with the camera too much between John and I, but it's also so I can see everyone a bit better, otherwise I'm a bit dwarfed by the TV. So there we go. Right. It's the 7th of May, 1999. It's the Kosovo War, and NATO are in the midst of a campaign to bomb Yugoslavia. And on the 7th of May, some US fighter jets bomb the Chinese embassy in Belgrade, killing three Chinese journalists. There was absolute outrage in China, and it led to quite a few protests in five cities in particular, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Xinjiang, and Chengdu. I was in Chengdu at this particular point in time. Having visited missionaries who were in Tibet, I was then traveling around China on my own, as you do when you're young and in a gap year. But it was a bit of an unsettled time. There were protests. I saw people throwing things at the McDonald's. That was kind of their way of getting their anger out against the Americans. And in the midst of that, uh, I really had no Chinese. And you know when you learn a language, the first chapter's about hello and how are you, and then the next chapter's about learning to say, I'm English, and you know, are you English, or are you French, I'm German. Uh, and then it's only later you get to the really useful things like where's the train station and how to buy a sandwich. I don't think if I'm going to France, I really need to worry about telling them I'm English. They can spot it a mile off. <laughs> However, in China, it was quite useful because what I was able to say was, I'm not American, I'm English. And I could hear them shouting American at me and I was able to respond. So sometimes these words come in useful. Anyway, it was very unsettling. A few days later, I'm down in the southwest of China, traveling around, and I meet a couple. Uh, they were Americans, and they were Christians. And when they found out that I was a Christian, they said, oh, we live in Beijing. When you get to Beijing, you must contact our friend Dawn. She would love to see you. Please, you must contact her, and then you can maybe come to our church. And they gave me her phone number. Another whole story is that I lost my purse about five days later, and I was far more worried about losing this phone number than I was about my credit card. But thankfully, I got it back, and when I got to Beijing, I called this complete stranger called Dawn, and she's like, yeah, great, come and visit me. She lived at the Holiday Inn in Beijing, which is the biggest Holiday Inn uh, in the world, and it's a place where a lot of families actually live, a lot of expat families live, and if they've got young children, they send them to nursery, and Dawn was a nursery teacher. So for a good few days, I stayed with her in her room. They brought, wheeled in an extra bed for me. I went to her church with her. I even went out on some meal um, that they were doing to say goodbye to, some, uh, to an American couple who were leaving. And one guy at their church lent me his bike uh, so that I was able to cycle around Beijing and see all the sights. I actually found Beijing huge and overwhelming. And this was God's provision for me in the midst of this experience. They treated me almost like family. Well, they are, aren't they? Our church family. I wonder if you've ever chatted to a stranger and discovered they were a Christian. Does it change how you relate to them? This morning, I want to talk about everyone, everywhere. I want to talk about the global church. 
Now, Derek and John did a brilliant job last week of just sort of setting the scene, really. Uh, Derek encouraged us, didn't he, when he led us in our prayers to pray for different countries. He said, if your name was Nick, you might want to pray for Nicaragua. If it was Ben, you might want to pray for Benin. Uh, He asked us to think of a particular country on our hearts. Now, when he did that, I wonder what you pictured. I wonder if you pictured a map of the world. I asked my 11-year-old son. He said that when I say the world, he thinks of the globe. So I reckon about now, are you looking, thinking, oh, I wonder when we'll get to visit that place again, or, oh, I'd love to go there, or that place is really on my heart. But why don't we think more often of something more like this? This is a load of worshipping communities dotted around the world. Uh, Just a few here for you, Korea, 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 Australia, India, South Africa, Senegal, Iraq, Sweden, Canada, Brazil. Today, we're going to look at the global church and why it matters. During our One Body series, we focus on 1 Corinthians 12, and we've looked very much, haven't we, about our own church family at Gateway. We've looked at how everyone is connected Everyone's different, we can learn to disagree well, everyone's invited, and as John shared last week, everyone's sent. But there's a wider angle to God's church. Paul starts his letter to the Corinthians by saying this, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. There's recognition at the beginning of this letter that the early Christians are already dispersed and that this message is relevant to them all. Let's also remember that Paul is writing to the Corinthians from a different country. He's in Ephesus in Asia Minor and he's writing to this church in Corinth in Greece. In fact, we take for granted today that the New Testament comes to us from different countries, not our own. These churches aren't in Britain, as we well know. And we learn from that. We study it. We delight in what we read there. Yet in our own culture, are we as quick to hear from our brothers and sisters overseas? I wonder how we would feel this morning if we'd had a Turkish pastor preach with subtitles underneath. We think back to, John mentioned it last week as well, the Sustainable Power series. And I remember when Caleb talked to us about this guy who'd gone into a supermarket and he'd gone for a donut. He ended up praying for the cashier and doing all these amazing things. By the end, he was over the tannoy, preaching Jesus to the whole supermarket. And then we heard it was in California. And we're like, well, yeah, that's California. Didn't it feel a little bit more close to home when we heard about the treasure hunting in Bedford and how this group of Christians went out from their church and they went and prayed for this guy who damaged his back and used to play basketball and God healed him. We're like, yeah, Bedford's easier to access than Bethel. But why do we think like that? Jesus had a clear call to go out to the nations and make disciples. That is create a global church and we have that today but do we take this reality for granted I want to ask this morning why does it matter that we are a global church what does it mean for us here in Aiken 
Because I believe it does matter. And actually, I think Satan wants us to believe the lie that it doesn't. He wants us to be disconnected because he knows that if we were all to link arms together, we would be a real force to be reckoned with. But yet, I wonder if you ever catch yourselves forcing yourself to engage with a situation we're praying for overseas or trying to think I ought to care more about this. Or is that just me? So as we truly appreciate the fact that Christians are to be found everywhere, I believe it leads us to a greater appreciation of three things. Number one, it enriches our walk with God. Number two, it strengthens our sense of partnership together in the gospel. And thirdly, it accelerates kingdom breakthrough. So, first of all, enriching our walk. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, the passage that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, which talks about the body, it says in verse 13, For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. All. We're all brought together, aren't we? In, this, in, this, in their context, it was Jew or Gentile, slave or free. In our context, we would probably use different words, but we are all brought together. And actually, there's a real rich sense of grasping that and learning more about what that means. Uh, as most of you know, I am in a cross-cultural marriage, and a lot of people will say when you read books about cross-cultural stuff that it can be harder because you're trying to blend two cultures, two ways of doing things, two perspectives, but it is richer. I was thinking of one example as when I was chatting last night. Music is a good example. If you were to look at my music collection, you'd find it a real eclectic one, as well as some of your classic British stuff like Queen and ABBA and the Beatles and, uh, and English worship. I have a lot of Spanish worship. Uh, but also has always introduced me to a lot of Spanish singers, and his favourite singer is actually an Italian, Eros Ramazzotti, and we've been to two concerts hearing him sing in Italian. There's a, a richness. Now, you look at what that means for us, and particularly this, as we look wider. So, for example, I was reading uh, Let's Talk About Race that Caleb recommended we look at by Ben Lindsay, and he talks about how for the black majority churches, they focus a lot more on the kind of oppression and liberation sections of scripture. They'll preach a lot more about Exodus. And we, we perhaps don't do that so much, but as we look at that, as we go deeper into that, we understand more of this amazing word. We can go deeper in it. I love some of the stories uh, that Faith has brought back when she's been traveling places about how Jesus makes himself known to Muslim women visions and dreams I've read about it as well they can't go down the traditional route that I went down which was a guest service uh, at a church where I could openly attend but Jesus comes to them in vision it's incredible as we hear stories of how God works in other parts of the world and in other contexts it enriches our understanding of how amazing he is how powerful he is the amazing things that he's doing what about those who are persecuted? Again, we can understand scripture better when, it, when we look at the situations that some people face who are 
not able to freely uh, worship God and who are in situations of deep persecution. They're just a few examples, but as we look, we just get a richer sense. And when you meet with Christians in other places and other parts of the world, or even in our own town or city, I was thinking about how sometimes we go out, don't we? John talked about the gathered church and then the scattered church and how we gather and then we scatter out. But of course, it's not just gateway gathering and scattering. There's other churches in York, there's other churches throughout the UK that gather and scatter out. And I don't know about you, if you've ever been in the workplace and you've heard that someone else, perhaps they're talking about how they went to church at the weekend or just something they say makes you realise that they too are a believer. I don't know about you, but for me, it heightens my sense that God is there. You know, God's no longer just here in my heart and I'm trying to make him known and I'm trying to do everything, look for opportunities and try and listen to the Holy Spirit. But he's here as well and it just gives an enriched sense of God's presence in that place, which can be really exciting and can be, give real solidarity as well. So secondly, it strengthens the sense of partnership together in the gospel. The Apostle Paul, when he starts the letter to the Philippians, says this in, well, I'll go from verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul uses this terminology of partnership in the gospel and, and it gives real momentum to that idea of them all working together. He talks later on in Philippians about how uh, they'd also sent him aid when he was in Thessalonica and again when he was set out for Macedonia. They had a huge heart to the Philippians to support Paul in his mission. They partnered with him in really tangible ways. Jesus sent out his disciples and out they went. The, the church is global as it is today because the first disciples split up with a common purpose and that's how the message spread. Now the great news is we can go to a church anywhere in the world and they're going to have the same mission. It's not like we're going to go and find that, oh yeah, we're, we're, oh, yeah, we're doing something different. We're all guided by the same mandate that Jesus gave us. To go out, to spread the message about Jesus, to make him known, to bring the kingdom in, to believe in him, to love him, and to love our neighbour. All churches, I don't know if you've ever been to a church where you don't understand a word. I was in uh, Prague many years ago and we went into a church. I didn't understand a word. In fact, I went with a Catholic friend and it was a Catholic church. We didn't have a word of check, but there was something really amazing and powerful to be there and see them do the same things, exchange the peace, and just feel that connection with these brothers and sisters. We're all in partnership together. We're on a global mission. And actually, we can and we do partner with other places to help them in their local mission. Isn't that why we help with translation of Bibles? We don't need that because we've got it. But we partner with others who we know need it, and we know that that will be such a blessing to them. It's one of the reasons we've done the Christmas Kindness Projects over the last few years, an opportunity to partner with others in our global mission. And we're hopeful that we'll be able to do something again this year. When I was in Guatemala uh, running a children's home there, we had first-hand experience of the importance of this partnership working. We were there doing the work of caring for children 
who had been abused or some were orphans. But we were heavily reliant on churches in the States who would send teams down and they would build. We were sort of growing and, and building as we went along. And so they would come and they would build uh, extra houses that we'd be able to receive more children. They brought money to support us and they usually left deciding to sponsor a child. They partnered with us in our mission to care for the orphan, in our mission to provide a Christian community for these girls. And we couldn't have done it without them. As well as that partnering in terms of coming alongside and helping, there's something really important as well about solidarity. Solidarity with those who are suffering. We had the very sad news this week of the shooting in Nice. I don't know if many of you saw on the news, but I was really quite moved. They went up to this woman and she was walking down the street and she just said, I've just found out on the TV that our church warden's been killed. I thought, can you imagine, can you imagine that? Coming up to Gateway and finding out that a member of staff has been killed. You know, you just, it, it, it strikes to the core. And we are called to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to pray into situations. We are called to recognise that. And actually, they need that prayer support. They need to know they are being carried by people around the world. There's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, which is interesting because it talks about sort of a benefit to why we would do that. So it says, talking about resisting the devil, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings so there's a sense in which we can be stronger to resist attacks from the devil when we appreciate that it's happening all around the world when we appreciate that people are struggling when we appreciate that people are under attack we can pray with them, but we can also appreciate that sense of being together. So it enriches our walk with God, it strengthens a sense of partnership, and finally it accelerates kingdom breakthrough. In Matthew 6, 33, we're told to seek first his kingdom and righteousness. We are called to usher in the kingdom, we are called to pray for the kingdom. There are different ways that we can do that. One is to pray the Lord's Prayer, of course. We are encouraged to pray, your kingdom come. To pray the kingdom in. We also evangelise, of course. We also seek to share the message of Jesus with others. To seek to explain why we believe and why Jesus is our salvation. Why Jesus is the one to follow. We're also salt and light in this world, and there is a call on us to have integrity and to reflect Jesus' light. But the other way is that the church is the agent of change. We can bring about change. We are called to bring change. David Devonish wrote a book called What on Earth is the Church For? And he talks about globalization and says it opens a wide door for the active involvement of Christian business personnel, economists, lawyers, politicians, health workers, educationalists, and many others. It is as we act as salt and light in the world, both individually 
and corporately that the church will fulfill its mandate to be not only a witness to the kingdom of God, but the agent of the kingdom's advance. I find that really exciting to think that we are the agent of the kingdom's advance. We are called to influence our nation. It's what the apostles did. Speak out on matters of justice. These things count. It's part of bringing Jesus' kingdom to earth. Look at caring for the hungry. The food bank network in this country is an incredible example of this, of accelerating kingdom breakthrough. Because now you've got a whole network of churches around our nation who are there on the ground helping people who are, um, who are in poverty and who cannot afford food. But not just that, by being a network together, by being connected in, it gives the Trussell Trust, which is the organisation that runs the food bank networks, a voice at the highest level, a voice into government, a voice to the Department of Work and Pensions to campaign on things like the five-week wait uh, that happens when you move on to universal credit, one of the reasons that they've seen a huge uplift in food poverty. It's as we connect, as we recognise that we are all interconnected, a global church, that we can do more, we can achieve more. Same with many projects like Compassion, who works all over the world, partnering with local churches to help and care for children. Same idea, that they can see what's happening on the ground. There's networks like Christians in Parliament, for example, the Christian Police Association. They're not just support groups for people to get together and how things going and pray for each other. They can be powerhouses for change and challenge. I'm sure there's many more. I think of CUs at university uh, and at colleges. A massive part of a CU is those campaigns. When are we going to do a mission to, to, to talk about our faith and try and, and share the message with the students around us? It's a really kind of real driving force uh, when you're a student. But something seems to change uh, in many areas as we go through and, and maybe we lose that vision of how much we can be that powerhouse for change. We gather around a common set of principles as we worship one God. 2.3 billion of us, 31.2% of the global population, the biggest faith network. Imagine if we united on certain issues. Just what a powerful voice that is. I was thinking about the whole environment and the issues around that. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? We all know we should be caring for God's world. And if we were all to unite on that, the impact that we could make. There is power in numbers. And uh, interesting that Jennifer and Faith brought those verses from Hebrews, because I have them here too. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us that's coming off the back of hebrews chapter 11 and the, the wonderful stories of all those people of faith that uh, through the old testament and then they're there they're in that great cloud of witnesses and the angels are all there willing us on cheering us on but never mind then, there's also the whole global church on that common mission. Let's be energised by this vision of what can be achieved. 
when we connect with our brothers and sisters around the globe on a common cause with shared beliefs. It's incredibly powerful. And one thing I love about that verse is it says, uh, running with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. It's not an individual event, it's a team event. As a team, we are running the race with perseverance. As a team, we can rely on one another. As a team, we can sharpen one another. As a team, we can energize one another. And then it obviously goes on then to and fix our eyes on Jesus. So as we look at our world, let's see those worshipping congregations and recognise God's presence and power at work everywhere, that we're all partners together in this, in his mission, and that as we work together, united in our common purpose, God can do impossible things through us. I was thinking when Derek was saying about how we could all pray for a different country, wouldn't it be brilliant if actually we all did take a different country and we were always praying for that? And then, I don't know about you, but when that explosion happened in Lebanon a few months ago, I just thought about the people of Lebanon and, and the horrible situation for them, but I didn't think about the church there. But maybe we should be going first to them, our brothers and sisters, and how they can respond to each opportunity uh, that even the most horrible disasters can bring. Right now, we're all sharing a common challenge like never before, and we aren't alone. There are churches all over the world who are doing that. So as we share the bread and wine this morning, we do so with Christians around the globe. Let's feel that solidarity with them this morning. Thank you.